May 28th, 2015 is Audacity's 15th birthday. Please celebrate with me as I speak with Audacity co-founder and creator, Professor Roger Dannenberg. Welcome to the Audacity to Podcast, episode 221. Thank you for joining me for the Audacity to Podcast. I'm Daniel J. Lewis, and this is the award-winning how-to podcast about podcasting. It's where I give you the guts and teach you the tools to launch or improve your own podcast for sharing your passions and finding success. I think that almost every podcaster at some point has used Audacity, and certainly many podcasters are continuing to use Audacity today and finding great success in editing the audio of their podcasts with Audacity. It's a very powerful tool, and many of us might not have even been able to start podcasting if it wasn't for Audacity. So I think we owe big thanks to the entire Audacity team over at audacityteam.org for all of their great effort that they've put into Audacity. I certainly wouldn't have started podcasting if it wasn't for Audacity because I couldn't afford software when I first started. I needed something free and Audacity is free and powerful and it's available on Windows, OS X, and Linux. The Audacity documentation says that it launched on May 28th, 2000 and it became available on SourceForge.net on June 1st, 2000. Version 0.8 had just a couple additions, a zip and a TGZ version, with 5,000 total lifetime downloads. Now with the latest version of Audacity, which at this time, at its 15th birthday, is 2.1.0, that version alone has had nearly 1 million lifetime downloads. All versions of Audacity over the last 15 years have had more than 88 million total downloads. This is great software that enables many podcasters to share their passions and find success. So it gives me great pleasure to interview Roger Dannenberg, a professor of computer science, art, and music at Carnegie Mellon University. He holds several patents, has published numerous articles and chapters in respected technical and music journals, and he is a musician himself. Professor Roger Dannenberg is also the senior co-founder and developer for Audacity, which is why I'm talking with him today. Professor Dannenberg, thank you very much for joining me. Oh, my pleasure. So take me back to 1999 and tell me about everything behind Audacity's creation. Okay. 1999, we, we being me and a couple of grad students were working on music information retrieval lots of music and audio-related computing tasks. And we were sort of bemoaning the fact that there were not very good visualization tools. You know, we would record some audio and we'd process it and something would go wrong. And we'd want to see, okay, what did the computer think was going on here? And can we look at the waveform along with some other data and try to figure out what's either working or not working with our algorithms? And there, of course, there were audio editors around, and there were some visualization tools that people in the speech community had developed and used. But we felt like there really wasn't anything that we were 
really happy with, especially for dealing with longer files of audio. You know, most of the visualization tools just uh, load up whatever will fit in memory and, and can't deal with a half hour recording, let's say. And we thought we could pretty easily put something together to visualize waveforms and other data. And that's what we did. So really, Audacity started as an attempt to make it easier to see waveforms and audio data and other kinds of graphical output like labels and annotations. And uh, as we were doing it, we realized that it was not much extra work to throw in some editing features, you know, cut, copy, paste, delete. And so those got thrown in. And then pretty soon we realized, oh, this is really a a nice little editor. And uh, Dominic Mazzoni, who was my student at the time, uh, was really keen on getting this out into the world. And so he put a lot of polish on it. Although I probably, if you went back to the version 0.1 or whatever it was, it wouldn't uh, look nearly the way things look now. But still, it was pretty useful uh, even in, in that early form, because Dominic put a lot of attention to building a, an easy-to-use user interface and just putting what seemed to be necessary. So seeing how Audacity has developed since then, it's now every podcaster recommends it for starting podcasters. I think it would probably be safe to say almost every podcaster has started with Audacity or used Audacity at some point. Did you ever imagine that it would have this mass appeal that it does today? I really had no idea. It was a big surprise. A couple of things worked in our favor, I think, partly because, in a way, we were not as advanced as the competition. And I mean, it's kind of a reverse judo or something that the big guys uh, that were doing high-end audio at that time had highly optimized their software for uh, Motorola 68000 processors running on early Macintosh computers. And, you know, all that optimization was really important to get the speed that you needed to process audio. But it made them very vulnerable because when Apple switched operating systems and they switched processors, uh, they kind of left all of this hand-coded, assembly code, optimized 68000 code all got left behind. And in our case, we were building, you know, for expediency, we were building on top of a uh, graphical user interface toolkit called WX Widgets, uh, which is supported by another group. It's open source software, and and that's the Audacity user interface that provides all the, the menus and buttons and display and all that stuff. So we were building on top of that, and our code was very generic and very portable, wasn't really optimized for anything. And so when... Apple came out with the uh, PowerPC versions of their machine, all the other software sort of barely ran, and we just recompiled our stuff, and it was out and running. So we had the first native PowerPC Mac audio editor out there, and and it was free. So, you know, that really boosted our popularity, and, you know, things have just continued to grow from there. What was it like as you started to see the development of Audacity, both the program itself being developed with more features and people jumping on board and using this and praising this great program? What was that like for you? First of all, it's been really great to have something kind of go out into the world and support itself. (laughs) I uh, work on and develop a lot of software and, and have a lot of tools that I use and I sometimes feel like I've kind of uh, cursed myself or I've burdened myself with 
all these great tools because even though I like to use them, I spend a huge amount of time maintaining and porting them and stuff. And and so for one of those things, Audacity, to get out into the world and become so popular that other people are willing to donate their time and put effort into it to to make it live on, and I can just enjoy you know, downloading Audacity new versions with all these improvements, and they always run on new versions of operating systems without any work on my part. That's just been, you know, really great, really rewarding. And I also, it's gotten to the point where a lot of people, I mean, as you say, it seems like anyone doing work with audio has at least heard of Audacity and probably used it. And so people from all corners of life realized that, you know, that I was in at the beginning of it and and come up and thank me and it's it's just it's very rewarding i'm sure it is and you're worthy of all of that gratitude because we owe so much to you and the team and how many people are behind audacity today you know i i don't even know what the count is and the interesting thing is that most of us i would say have not even met each other in person we did have a conference that we we called the audacity unconference uh, last year and a bunch of us met there for the first time. And, it was, you know, it's just a great thing because we kind of know each other from our online personas. Not that they're that different, but but there is a difference between, you know, meeting someone in the flesh and, and having all these technical conversations. And also, I think some of the technical conversations get, get kind of heated because everybody's really passionate about what they're doing or else they wouldn't be spending so much time contributing. And so, you know, people have feelings and interests. And, and when we all got together and realized, oh, you know, hey, it's just a, another guy and he's doing cool stuff and we could talk to each other and you could see people's eyes and see their expressions. It's kind of a whole new world. So I, I really, I think that was just a great thing to to meet all these guys, but you know, not everyone made it. So there's still lots of people uh, that I haven't met. And it's kind of a long tail distribution. You know, there's a few developers that are heavily involved, just working every day or almost every day and putting in the bulk of the work but there are dozens of people, you know, making contributions one way or another. And if you go out further on the tail, uh, you know, there are people that just submit bug reports or people that, that do testing. I don't know how many people have done translations into other languages. And so kind of at every level of involvement from every day to once a year, there are people working at that level. So you mentioned a lot of things that average people out there are doing. What can we do then to really support this project? Of course, donate to the project, but what else can we do beyond donations to show our appreciation or help keep Audacity going? Well, I think one thing that helps is uh, just uh, feedback on uh, what's working or what's not working. It's very time-consuming to uh, for us to test Audacity, and every new version that goes out gets a lot of testing and uh, but you know we, but we can never test every configuration, and it's kind of difficult to test because I mean just knowing something is broken is not really so helpful. What really helps is knowing, oh this thing broke when I did this, but when I plug in this other interface, then it does work. Or if I switch the device drivers, or I updated my operating system, you know the the details of. What's the the smallest amount of change you need to either fix something or break something gives us a lot of clues about uh, what's going on and and the ability, uh, hopefully, to reproduce the problem 
uh, because you really cannot fix software without being able to reproduce the problem. So I think, you know, the kind of testing with careful feedback, and I know it takes time and and effort to do it, but careful descriptions of exactly what's going on and and maybe under what conditions it fails or works, uh, I think are really helpful. Uh, And there are also, I think, opportunities for people that are experts to go online and, uh, you know, read people's questions and answer them, help people with solutions, because there are people using Audacity kind of at every level of, of knowledge and skill and experience. So I think there are lots of people out there that could make contributions to just help the community. How do you work with users to improve the experience with Audacity when they submit those bug reports or they say, hey, this thing isn't working or they give those feature requests? What are you doing to integrate those or work with those users? Well, with users, we we try to pay attention to what people are asking for. You know, that does filter up to developers. And it's, it's kind of an interesting situation because it's it's all volunteer. You know, developers have ideas about what they want to do, and that's what they're going to be motivated to do. And so Audacity tends to move in the direction that developers want, regardless of what users are saying. But on the other hand, we do really care about the users and... Uh, if a lot of users are saying we want to do something, that really does motivate developers to fix things or add new features. A lot of times the stuff that people want is much more difficult. You know, it would be there if it were easy. And, and so it probably takes <laughs> a lot of repetition of, you know, repeatedly asking for things if they're difficult or they just don't naturally fit into plans to make them happen. But I would encourage people to you know, make their voices heard. And if there's no immediate response, you know, just keep in mind that there are uh, millions of users out there that, that are all doing different things. You know, we do try to do whatever's going to provide the most good for the most people. And for developers, I would say it's pretty difficult to get code into Audacity because it has so many users. We can't just throw stuff in without a lot of careful deliberation and inspection and testing. And a lot of times someone will develop some fix or some hack or some, you know, something that's interesting, but not, it's not really complete. Well, it takes a lot of work and kind of working with the lead developers and and the development team to uh, actually get some stuff in there. But I would say to those people, you know, don't, uh, hesitate to write some code and develop some stuff and and show it to us and work with us and just be kind of prepared for the the long haul that you don't just create a feature in a week and submit the code and see it come out the next month in a release of audacity it usually takes some rewriting and some testing and discussion and uh, a lot of additional work i know a couple of the big features that people have been interested in it seems lately especially are non-destructive editing, and a mobile version. Do you know, can you say, is there anything like that in the works? Yeah, so let me talk about non-destructive editing first. I mean, the way Audacity works is built into the core of Audacity. So I, I think that's something that's not likely to change. And the reason that it was there in the first place, which, I don't know, might make people either feel better about it or you might just be interested, why, why did they do it this way? First of all, since we were interested in seeing waveforms and visualizing data, uh, the way Audacity works is when you every effect that you apply, every edit that you apply actually changes the stored waveform. And you can see that 
on the display. Whereas in a non-destructive editor, if you do something like apply a filter or apply reverberation, you don't actually see that on the display. You hear it, and it goes into the file when you save it, but it's those changes are not visible. So we thought a real what-you-see-is-what-you-get style interface was, was a good thing. And the other thing is that back when Audacity was built, uh, machines were not all that fast. And uh, one advantage that we have is we can do just any arbitrary signal processing, and because we store the results it's always fast and cheap to play those results back, whereas non-destructive editors have to apply all the edits and all the effects have to be computed in real time. And so there are, you know, can be some performance problems. I think machines now have gotten so fast that, you know, in retrospect, people could probably, I mean, 99% of what people do with Audacity could all be done in real time non-destructively. And, you know, there's a good argument for that, but I don't really see it changing just because, it's wired into Audacity so deeply. And then on, on the mobile thing, there has been some discussion, but I think a mobile version of Audacity would basically require a, a complete rewrite just to to deal with the different uh, style interface and all sorts of other issues, different operating systems. So I, I don't see that happening, although there's a lot of interest, and I, I think a an Audacity-inspired mobile app that was maybe developed in parallel with Audacity is not out of the question. And there there have also been a lot of recent developments on the user interface of Audacity and how to maybe deal with touch displays. And, you know, who knows what future mobile apps are going to look like, if OS X and iOS or if Windows platforms uh, kind of merge into a single operating system that's kind of spans laptops and desktops and mobile devices, then I think Audacity will go with that direction and and will do something. Yeah, I know a lot of people would love to see something like that in the future, but Audacity works so well at what it does now. I'd hate to see it break suddenly in favor of trying to make something work that might not fit with its original vision. Right. And I think there are a lot of user interface details that exist now that would just be totally inappropriate for a touch-based display or a very small screen. And so, you know, it's a real challenge to figure out how to replicate the power of Audacity on a very different user interface. I know that one of those user interface things that matters a lot to many people is the accessibility of Audacity. And how much does that play into the development of Audacity? I think that accessibility in Audacity is, has largely been driven by a few people, but it's something that, that everybody on the team is strongly behind and endorses. So there doesn't seem to be any conflict in, in the sense of, well, if we weren't concerned about accessibility, we could do this or do that. It's more like everyone feels like, oh, accessibility is just part of Audacity and you know we should all support it and do whatever we need to make it work. It does take extra work. I would say few people are, are real experts at building accessible interfaces. So, uh, you know, it was because Audacity was open source in the uh, pretty early on, someone was able to come in and add some features for accessibility and they were, you know, very well received. And And I think the team is behind uh, keeping that up. I, I don't really know enough about the uh, features or or what people feel that needs to be improved to comment much more about the future. 
so I can only say that there's a real sense of commitment to accessibility, and I think if there are particular things that are problematic, that uh, people should just let their voices be heard, and uh, probably there there will be a response. What are some of your favorite resources for Audacity and people that you see doing amazing things with Audacity out there? Oh, a couple of things. Um, there have been some users that are doing very high sample rate recordings, mainly for uh, marine mammals. I think dolphins, maybe whales. Uh, you know, you can't go sample dolphins at 44.1 kilohertz. <laughs> <laughs> you have to you have to go a lot higher. And uh, in fact, you know, the team got these requests early on, like, why do you only go up to 192 kilohertz? <laughs> <laughs> And we were kind of scratching our heads and got into some conversations. And, uh, uh, you know, it's great. So there are people out there recording with special hardware at much higher sample rates. And just like we were trying to work like scientists and visualize our data when we started Audacity, you know, here are some uh, marine biologists or uh, whatever they are. Uh, trying to visualize their data, and it just happens to be in a much higher than human frequency range. So I think that's really cool and uh, testament to the generality of Audacity and, and the design. Uh, some other things, I know that there are some, uh, a lot of use of Audacity in education, and there are some physics experiments you can do, for example, to measure the speed of sound by setting up uh, microphones and making recordings and looking at waveforms very carefully. And I think bringing the physical world and instrumentation and measurement to the grade school level is just really exciting. You know, I think if I had been able to do that when I was a kid, I would have just freaked out. Wow. That, I had no idea that people were using it for something like that to realize like there's a world beyond music and voiceover and podcasting with Audacity to do some of that and then tying that in with the accessibility that I know so many people appreciate you're probably making some of this uh, technology available to visually impaired people in ways that they may not have ever been able to work with this information before. And that's, that's amazing how you're equipping them in the field of sciences and art with that. Right. And we get a lot of incoming students that, you know, I mean, this is this was not something that I had when I was growing up, but students in high school, of course, they all have laptops and computers, and they're all listening to music like everyone in the world. And so they pretty soon figure out that they can record their own music on Audacity. And so there's, there's so many young people that I run into that sort of got their start in music and technology using Audacity and, and other, you know, lots of other great tools out there. And that's just really great to see. It was even my own start with podcasting. I realized one day, hey, I know how to use Audacity. I'd used it before for editing some audio for some videos. And I realized I think I could do a podcast because I know how to work with Audacity. And you've made the tool uh, much better over the years and very accessible to people and very usable, very powerful too. And Boy, some of these updates, like when I looked at the 2.1 update and some of the things that have been done with noise removal, I was amazed at the leaps in quality that Audacity is making. Yeah, and I, th I think this noise removal and spectral editing is, is a good example of, of something that we've all known how to do it for years and years, and we've seen other editors. I mean, actually, the, the first spectral editing software I saw probably goes back at least 20 years. It's been around in research mode and, and now in lots of commercial products. But, you know, building an interface for that is a real challenge and uh, making it all cross-platform and supporting it and getting somebody to 
do all that work for free, you know, it's is uh, not a small task. But you know, it's great to see that in there now. And now that it's there, you know, people immediately are are saying, well, okay, now we got the basics in, but we need to do some more careful filtering and careful interpolation between the the reject band and the include bands. And you know, there are lots of improvements that now we can work on and, and uh, keep moving forward. How are you using Audacity yourself? I use it all the time, mainly just for uh, looking at audio files and checking output of stuff that I generate. I do a lot of work on uh, sound synthesis and sound analysis. And so, uh, you know, in, in many ways, I'm using it for the purpose that we originally built it, just to visually check stuff. I'm a musician, and I do a lot of live performance, and I, I write a lot of software for doing interactive live music. So I'm, I'm not really a, a generally a heavy user of audio editing. So I'm, I don't really use, I mean, whenever I do edit, I start with Audacity, and that's, that's my preferred editor. But since I don't do a lot of non-real-time uh, studio editing, mostly I'm using it for visualization. So here's a random question then for you. If you could make Audacity do anything with audio, either serious or silly, what new feature would you want inside of Audacity? Well, so here's a dream, uh, something that I've done some work on and written a couple of papers on, but it's far from a real practical reality. And the dream is that, you know how you have spell check in word processors where you can kind of just step through and look for questionable spellings or grammar, and you can even just, you know, click on suggestions and fix things. Well, I've uh, started working a while ago on uh, music editing systems where you go into a studio and you record something or a bunch of musicians record something and they're reading music. So you have a score representing, you know, in music notation, what you're trying to play and what you're trying to record. So what humans often do is after the recording session, they go through and listen to each track note by note, reading the score, looking for errors. And if there's an error, then you might try to delete it or find another note and fix it, or maybe you go back and re-record it. But there's a lot of things you can do, pitch correction, time stretching, and other editing techniques to fix these things. So what if you could get a computer to take a recording, compare it to a musical score, find all the mistakes or things that seem questionable that you might want to fix, and just present it in a user interface that looks like a spelling corrector. So you go through and say, hey, this note's a little flat. You want me to bump it up 15 or 20 cents? And you just click, yeah, let's let's do it. And then you go to the next one and say, okay, this guy came in 50 milliseconds early. Do you want to line it up with the other notes? And you click yes, and then that happens. And so you could quickly go through a score, a, a studio recording, recorded by maybe by amateurs. So there will be lots of mistakes, but after a lot of editing, you could get them to sound just like professionals. And I think that would open a lot of new, interesting music-making capabilities to a lot of creative people that don't have the, the big studio budgets to do all the manual processing that, you know, in fact, with auto-tune and all these other things, is that's what's happening in professional recordings. It's not necessarily the case that 
professionals are are such great, perfect musicians. They just, in some cases, do a lot more post-processing because they can afford it. It would be kind of like the magic auto-edit button. I think podcasters and voiceover artists would love that, too. Right, right. Well, you could probably do that for speech and podcasting, too. Yeah, give it a script and it just automatically knows, yeah, that didn't make sense. Let's remove that. Let's remove the ums and uhs. That would be an awesome feature. Sure. I I think, actually, I was uh, recording a lot of lectures on computer music this last year or last semester for a class, and I was really shocked at how many ums and ahs I recorded, and I was manually taking a lot of those out of the video before I put them online, and and I was really thinking, hey, maybe I should try to automate this. We've all been there, yeah. So bringing this back down to a practical level, where do you see Audacity going in the years to come? Well, there's a lot of excitement and work going on on the basic user interface. We're building on top of this WX widgets tool set. I mean, I think it gets the job done, but that was developed before really powerful graphics chips and OpenGL was running on every laptop and computer. And so now with the graphic speed that we have, we can do 32-bit color and do shading and real-time zooming in and zooming out and just all kinds of beautiful and slick user interface uh, techniques are now available. And it's going to be a long process, but we're in the middle of kind of prototyping some new software to render waveforms, allow, for example, multiple waveforms to be shown or waveforms to be overlaid with labels or other annotations, kind of continuous, smooth zooming and panning around and so I think that's going to be really slick when it happens. You know, don't hold your breath, but that's coming. I would love to see more and better multi-channel support. Uh, that's something that's been in conflict with keeping the interface real simple. If your choice is one channel or two channels, mono or stereo, and a bunch of tracks, that's much easier to deal with than, um, well, maybe we could support eight channels or sub-mixes and you know, more elaborate things, but it would be nice to find a smooth, simple, elegant way to support more channels, 5.1, for example, for more consumer applications. As I was alluding to with the autofix uh, music editing, uh, there are a lot of, of sophisticated signal processing techniques that are coming around. And I think we'll see some more of those, just like this spectral editing stuff that was recently added. I think there are better time stretching, pitch correction, especially music processing techniques like that are probably going to appear in the future. Yeah, that would be awesome to see. And I think that will be a great future for Audacity ahead with features like that and no doubt other features that will come and the team will be inspired by these things and create other great things and enable us to create great art. Do you have anything that you would want to say to the people who are using Audacity? You know, I would say to follow your heart and follow your dreams and do some great creative stuff with sound and, and music and, and voice. On behalf of all of the users out there who use Audacity, the podcasters, the voiceover artists, the performers, the musicians, the scientists, everyone who's using Audacity, from the kids who use it just to play around and change their voices, to the professionals who use it to build their career and live the life of their dreams. Thank you. Thank you very much for creating this and enabling us. 
Well, it's been great to be a part of this, and, and I want to just join you in thanking the whole Audacity team, because I, I can't emphasize enough how important it is to have a large group of people all contributing their different skills to make this one thing a reality and to keep it going for so many years. So thanks to the Audacity team. There are developers, there are documentation experts, there are customer support sort of representatives, there are directors, quality assurance, there are so many different positions and people helping to make this a reality and continuing to improve it. So you and the team have done excellent work, and we are very grateful for that. Well, thanks. And Professor Roger Dannenberg, thank you very much for joining me, and happy birthday to Audacity. Yeah, thanks. It's been my pleasure. Wow, it was really great to speak with Professor Roger Dannenberg. I am very grateful for his time and all of the information he's told. And wasn't that amazing to learn why Audacity was created in the first place, and then how it's being used in some of the other ways today. I am truly grateful to Professor Dannenberg and the rest of the Audacity team for their great work on Audacity. And the Audacity team is quite a large team of lead developers and documentation experts and support. Please visit the website at web.audacityteam.org to see the full credits, and I link to that in the show notes for this episode, number 221. And I'd like to take a moment to thank these main people by name. I can't thank everyone that's on the credits page, but certainly these have invested the most time and work into Audacity. For the team members, Gail Andrews, Richard Ash, Christian Brochek, Arturo Bruslaman, James Crook, Roger Dannenberg, Steve Dalton, Benjamin Drum. Rohan Johnson, Greg Kozakowski, Paul Licamelli, Leland Lucius, Peter Sampson, Martin Shaw, and Bill Wari, and also distinguished Audacity team members who are no longer active with the project, but their contributions have been priceless in the past. Matt Brobeck, Michael Chenin, Al Diamond, Joshua Haberman, Ruslan Ijbulatov, Dominique Mazzani, Marcus Mayer, Monty Montgomery, Shane Mueller, Tony Oatsman, and Alexander Prokodine. Please accept my forgiveness if I mispronounced any of these names. There are many others who have contributed hours and hours and translated into many different languages and contributed in support, in ideas, in inspiration, in so many ways. So please do check out the full credits section on the Audacity website, and I link to that in the show notes for this episode number 221. I'd love to hear from you. What is your favorite thing about Audacity? As well as, please answer that question that I also asked Professor Dannenberg. If you could have any Audacity feature, serious or silly, what would you want it to be? Please comment on the show notes for this episode at theaudacitypodcast.com slash 221. If you're not already subscribed to the Audacity to Podcast, please subscribe in iTunes at theaudacitypodcast.com slash iTunes or your favorite podcast player of choice. And I've got links over at theaudacitypodcast.com. Thank you very much for writing a review for the Audacity to Podcast in iTunes. And this week, I'd like to thank Paul David Peterson, who said, today my podcast went live on iTunes, and there's no way I could have done it without Daniel's podcast and all he shares with the podcasting community. Awesome. Congratulations, Paul. I'm really happy to hear that your podcast has launched now a couple weeks ago. 
Bite Spider from the United Kingdom said, I've been listening to the Audacity to Podcast ever since deciding to start my own podcast, Bedtime FM's Storytime, and it has helped me in so many ways. Not least of all, improving my microphone technique and producing well-produced content. I still have a lot to learn, and with the help of the Audacity to Podcast, I'm improving each day. Thank you very much, Bite Spider. I'm really happy to be part of your podcasting story. And Grishrak said, this podcast is less about the tech and how-to with Mixer X and more about giving us insight and tips on how to podcast and what to avoid once we hit record. That alone has saved me many hours of editing in post, as well as helps me know directly where to go if I keep running into an issue. Thank you very much for the kind ratings and reviews on iTunes. And if you haven't written a review yet, I'd really appreciate one. Go to theaudacitytopodcast.com slash iTunes. And if you want your international podcast reviews emailed to you automatically on a regular basis from all of the countries where iTunes is available so you don't have to spend hours and hours looking for those reviews, have them delivered automatically in an easy way that you can copy and paste then too. Check out my podcast reviews at mypodcastreviews.com. I was honored to be the keynote speaker at Podcast Midwest this last weekend, and I will be sharing that session where I spoke on the future of podcasting in the next episode of the Audacity to Podcast. I'll also be speaking on how to improve your WordPress podcast website at Podcast Movement in July. Go to podcastmovement.com and use the promo code NOODLE. And if you want a podcasting and new media conference in Europe, then go to theaudacitypodcast.com slash NMEU for the New Media Europe conference in September. Make sure that you check out SEO for podcasters because the price is going up very soon. That's at theaudacitypodcast.com slash SEO. Now that I've given you some of the guts and taught you some of the tools, it's time for you to go launch or improve your own podcast for sharing your passions and finding success. I'm Daniel J. Lewis from the Audacity to Podcast.com. Thank you for listening and happy birthday, Audacity. The Audacity to Podcast is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. The Audacity to Podcast is also a proud member of the Tech Podcast Network. If it's tech, it's here. Find more at techpodcasts.com.